Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I, I want to turn your attention to that passage in Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans 8, where uh, this is a, a climactic passage in Paul's writings in Romans, the book of Romans. It's a beautiful passage and many people point to it as one of the most uh, significant passages in the entire New Testament. And Paul has been coming to uh, a conclusion here and here he um, he writes these beautiful verses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we've been working our way through Romans chapter 8, and now we come to this section, which, if we understand what Paul is saying here, uh, gives us great assurance in the love of God, um, gives us great joy in the love of God, as well as we believe these truths that Paul writes and so that's my prayer, is that um, if you're struggling with assurance today, the assurance of God's love and God's salvation, that you would be strengthened in your faith, and that all of us would, would be more joyful about what God has done for us in his love for us. I heard an interesting uh, statistic this week. It was surprising, and it had to do with plastic surgery in the United States. It was talking about where there is... Uh, the most plastic surgeries, the different cities in the United States that have the most plastic surgery per capita. And number one was not surprising. It was Miami Beach, Florida. L.A. is not number two. That was a surprising thing. L.A. was number three. Number two was Salt Lake City, Utah. And I heard this from a missionary to the Mormons and he was pointing out, he said, um, because obviously Salt Lake City is the heart of Mormonism and Mormon culture. And I don't know much about Mormon culture, but this missionary, this Lutheran pastor was saying that in Mormonism, they believe that God gets you started on the path of salvation. But then it's really up to you to take it from there. And one of the things that they emphasize is that verse in... in um, the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And so they strive for perfection, you see. And there's a perfectionist uh, tendency and there's this kind of facade that we must look perfect and, and be perfect. And, and then underneath of that is a spiritual anxiety. Am I doing enough? And in the end, when I meet God, will it have been enough? Can I really know that God loves me? And he, he said, that's, that's why you have the plastic surgery, the facade of perfection, and the spiritual anxiety in Mormonism. But, you know, that can happen in Christian circles, too. If we fail to grasp, really, the love of God for his people, and uh, there can be spiritual anxiety. Am I enough? Have I done enough? What am I not doing that I ought to be doing in order to be secure with God? The good news of the gospel that, that Paul says here is that if we have put our faith in Christ, if we uh, have trusted in Christ for our salvation, we are secure in the love of God. That God has had a plan, really, 
before the beginning of creation, to have a people for himself that will be secure in his love now and always. And then that's what he's been talking about. And then in, in the, towards the, uh, as he draws this chapter 2 conclu- conclusion, he, he talks about the various aspects of the love of God that, that we can be secure in, that we'll never be separated from if we're in Christ. And so let's look at some of the things that he says in this passage. We can't, uh, surely we can't say everything that needs to be said. This would take weeks and months really to unfold. But here are three things about the love of God that Paul says here that should give us great assurance. Three things. That God's love is a sacrificial love. A sacrificial love. And the depth of this sacrifice should help us to understand how much God loves us and how much God is for us. See, he says that at the beginning, what shall we say then to all these things? If God is for us, that could be a a way to define love, one way to define love. That you're for somebody. You want the best for them. If God is for us, then who can be against us? God is the greatest being. God has, is omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, etc. If, if God is for us, then if he's on our side, if he's on our team, then nothing else that comes against us can stand a chance. Cannot separate us from him. And then he, he, he reminds us of how we know God is for us. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son. The son about whom he said at the baptism, this is my beloved son. My beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. His only begotten son, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Sacrifice. This great point. What more could God give? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And Paul is saying, now when you understand the depth of that sacrifice, what God has done in the past, it should increase your faith that God is going to continue to love you and give you everything you need from here on out. I mean, he's made this, if we want to put it in financial terms, uh, this great investment, this great cost, this great sacrifice. When you put a lot of money down on something as a deposit, it's, it's meant to say, I'm serious about this. And here God gave his own son. He did not spare his own son. And just think about the significance of that phrase, did not spare his own son. And commentators point this out and they, they talk about how there's a legal context here. And, and, and sometimes you'll see and read about in the court of law that a condemned criminal um, is spared the full punishment of his crime. Maybe it's a murder. And under the law, this uh, murderer could be punished with death. But the judge considers mitigating circumstances, considers maybe mental illness or that the murderer is extremely remorseful. And so there are times where the judge in the sentencing phase will say, I'm going to spare you the death penalty, even though you're guilty and you're going to get instead life in prison or something like that. They've been spared the worst. 
But here it says that God did not spare his own son. His own son who was not guilty, but innocent of all crime and all sin. And he did that for us. And Jesus himself was not an unwilling victim at the cross, but Jesus went forward and gave himself up for us, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, that he uh, loves the Son of God who gave himself up for me. So the Father is giving, the Son is giving himself at the cross, a sacrifice for our sin. And so we can trust that he will continue to give us what we need when we understand the significance and the depth of it. One commentator put it rather simply and starkly that on the cross Jesus experienced damnation for us. So we don't have to experience it. Such was the depth of the sacrifice and the love of God. So Paul's point here, once again, is why would we doubt that God who showed us such love and gave us this sacrifice at the cross would also not uh, graciously give us everything that we need? He graciously gave us his son. He graciously continues to love us. He has graciously promised to lead us home. So this is a sacrificial love. And then uh, it is, a, is a, a justifying love, a love that justifies his people. Um, Paul says, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Again, think of a courtroom scene. God is the judge. And here, to those who have put their faith in Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his perfect life lived in our place. God, the judge, declares that person righteous. And there's no higher court than God. There can be no court of appeal. So if God says, you're just, you're righteous in my sight because you're in Christ, my son, by faith, then there can be no argument. There can be no dispute. It's not going to get kicked up to the Supreme Court. He is the Supreme Court. Final. Complete. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. It's like we've been put on trial, let's say, and the accuser comes against us and points an accusing finger and says, this, this one claims to be a Christian. But you should have seen what he was thinking about last night and what he was looking at. This one claims to be a Christian, but she hardly ever prays. And when she does, she's often distracted. This one claims to be a Christian, but in the midst of struggles and sickness, there's a lot of wavering doubt. There's a lot of weak faith. The accuser comes and puts us on trial. And Christ says, yeah, I know all those things. That's why I died for them. That was the point of the cross. That's why... I died for them. That's why I rose for them. That's why I'm praying for them. To strengthen them. So that they will remain in my grace. All the way home. And that's what Paul says. He says, who is to condemn? 
Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. His resurrection is a divine stamp of approval that his sacrifice really was a sacrifice that covers our sins. More than that, he was raised. And he's now at the right hand of God and interceding for us. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for our faith. He's praying that we would persevere all the way home. What a wonderful thing to think about that Jesus is praying for us. We are comforted when another Christian says they're going to pray for you. But how much more that Christ is praying for us at the right hand of the Father in the presence of God. And then earlier in Romans 8, Paul has said that the Spirit prays for us. He intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And so here we see God, the triune God, at work for the salvation of his people, pouring out his love. The Spirit prays. Christ prays. The Father gives. Christ gives. It's all this love that's being poured out for the salvation of God's people. And it's not like God's God's love is not like ours in so many ways. You know, there's that, that line that Tom Cruise said. Uh, what was the movie? You Complete Me. Jerry Maguire. Maguire, yeah, thank you. That's our, our love is often like that. We're looking for to be fulfilled outside of ourselves. And we're looking to be completed by another person's love. That's, that's part of the motivation for love. But God's love is not like that at all. Because God is complete in himself. He doesn't need anything outside of himself to complete himself. He is complete and he shares this love and has been sharing this love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. And so his love for us is just a complete gift. For the sake of his people. And so in Romans 8, you're seeing just this movement of God before the foundation of the world. To have a people that he can pour this love into, a secure love. The Father giving, the Son giving, the Spirit praying, the Son's praying. It's wonderful to think about. And we ought to give God great glory and praise that he loves us like this. It's a pure gift type of love. And so Paul says, this is a love that that justifies even those who are unrighteous. And that's been Paul's argument in Romans all along, that now a righteousness from God has been revealed. A righteousness apart from the law. A righteousness of faith for those who believe. God has found a way to make righteous those who are unrighteous, and that is through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he provided at the cross, trusting in his perfect righteousness to cover over our sin, looking to him, looking to him alone for salvation. So in justification, and I'll do a little theology distinction here, some theological terms, in justification, uh, God declares us righteous in his eyes on account of Christ. This is what our theology teaches us in the 39 articles as Anglicans. Article 11, that we are declared righteous in God's sight 
only for the merits of Christ Jesus, not by our own works or deserving. That's Article 11 in the 39 Articles. Declared righteous. Why? Through the merits of Christ as we put our faith in what he's done. That's justification. God declares us right. But then sanctification is God makes us righteous through the work of the Holy Spirit. Justification is instantaneous. When somebody puts their faith in Christ, they're declared right. Sanctification is a process. The growth in holiness. And it's never complete until we get to heaven. Uh, Justification is a work of God. We just come to Christ with empty hands. We just come with faith. We are like Peter who's sinking in the waves and saying, Jesus, save me. Lord, save me. That's it. That's all it takes. Lord, save me. I'm sinking here in my sin, in my guilt, in my shame, in a sense of meaninglessness and purposelessness. Lord, save me out of this. And God is gracious and Christ will never turn away those who come to him. That's justification. It's a work of God. Sanctification, we cooperate with God to become more like Christ. But our standing with God is not based on sanctification, but justification. And so that, that's, that's the problem that people have, and, and, and it can be a problem of assurance when they begin to mix the two, you see. And so, you know, what? I'm, I'm not as faithful as I want to be. I I don't pray as I ought to. I don't love like I ought to. I still have these struggles and I still have these doubts. Well, yes, because you're a work in progress. But your standing with God is based on your faith in Christ. And so that gives us great assurance that this is a justifying love. It is a sacrificial love. And it is finally a conquering love. A conquering love. Where he says, um, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 25. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All, of course, new persecution. He experienced many of these things that he's talking about. He's writing to Roman Christians who are going to experience persecution and the sword under Nero. And I'm sure some of them were thinking of the teaching that Paul was giving as they had to go through that. Knowing that this is not going to separate us from God. Our enemies are coming against us. These trials are coming against us. But God is still with us. And in the end, the worst that happens is that we die and go to be with the Lord. Paul says in, in Philippians 1, in one place, he said, I actually depart, I desire to depart and be with the Lord. To be in the Lord's presence. To know the love of God in that way. In the presence of God. Paul was a man who, and I would love to have just a little bit, of, uh, a little bit more of this in, in my life, in my relationship with God. Paul was a man who not only could talk about the love of God um, Theologically, but he had this depth of experiential knowledge of the love of God. Wouldn't you like more of that in your life? Where in Romans 5, 5, he talks about the love of God being poured into his heart. It wasn't just a matter of intellect, 
but this close personal relationship with the love of God through Christ. And in Philippians 1, he says, that's why I'm not afraid to die, because I'll be with Christ. Oh, I'd like to grow in that kind of trust and faith. But he says here, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, not even the persecution and the suffering. And, and that's not necessarily, that, that's not a sign that God doesn't love us. There are some people who think that way. If I'm suffering, uh, if I'm going through trials, maybe it means that God is withdrawing his love for me. Well, Paul makes it clear here that that suffering, particularly suffering for Christ and for faithfulness to God is something that the people of God have always experienced. He quotes the Old Testament, doesn't he? Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long and regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That was written by people in the Old Covenant who experienced persecution. And Paul's saying this is part of the experience of the people of God in a fallen world. But nothing can ultimately separate us from the love of God. In fact, what he says is that this love is so conquering that we are more than conquerors. Verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? More than conquerors. I would be happy with just being a conqueror. But uh, but but Paul says, no, it's more than that. It's more than that. And uh, William Hendrickson explains that a conqueror is a person who defeats the enemy. A more than conqueror causes the enemy to be a helper. That, that God uses the things that come against us for his good purposes. We talked about that last time. All things work together for good for those who love God and have been called according to his purposes. So even in the matter of persecution, you can, you can think about this. Persecution against the people of God is a terrible thing. But throughout history, God has often used that persecution to bring people to himself, to draw people into the kingdom. There's an old saying from the early church, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church or the seed of faith. The blood of the martyrs, when people saw Christians go to their death for Christ, they witnessed this faith that they said, this must be real. There must be a reality behind it. And it drew people into the church. Even today, that happens throughout the world. I read about a place in northern India where there was great persecution in, I think, 2007, 2006, and 7 and 8, sometime like that, in northern India. And there were these extreme Hindus who came against the church and burned churches down and then killed the priest in the village. And the Christians fled the village. Many of them went out into the jungles, but some of them stayed and they died for Christ. But then what happened later was that the people who were involved in persecuting the Christians and desecrating the churches, they did terrible things to the altars and the cross. The people that were involved in that, some of them became very guilt-ridden and they, they repented of that. And others of them died in, in rather mysterious ways, um, dramatic fashion. And I won't go into, into all the details, but the villagers saw this. They saw the remorse and they saw that some of them had died just shortly after this persecution and desecration. And they said, this is judgment. This is judgment. And so some of the family members of those who did that persecution 
and desecration came to the church and said, we want to know about Christ. We, we want to know what, who this God is because they saw God's hand in that way. And so God took something that was meant for evil and turned it into something good. He is a conquering God. We don't always see that working out, of course, in this life. But ultimately, because of the resurrection of Christ, we know that we have the victory, even over death, even over this great enemy that we all face at the end of our life. Even there, we're more than conquerors because of the resurrection of Christ. And so Paul writes here in conclusion in these beautiful final verses, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But let's just think for a moment about death. Death is great enemy, but through death we can be more than a conqueror because of the hope that Jesus gives us. Through death, as Paul says, we are brought into the presence of God. And so he says, I, I would rather go and depart to be with the Lord. There's a scene in uh, the Pilgrim's Progress where Christian is getting to the edge of the celestial city, getting ready to enter in the gates. And he's there with his, his companion, hopeful. And they come to the gates, but in front of the gate is a river. It's a black, cold river. There's no bridge there. and It represents death. And they get to this river, and it says they turned pale. And they said, is there any other way? And the witnesses on the other side said, no, there's no other way. Um, Elijah and Enoch, they got to go up in glory. But after that, everybody's got to come through this river. And so Christian and Hopeful get into the river, which represents death. And... Christian's faith begins to waver a bit and falter as he is in this cold water and he begins to think about his sin and he's wondering if God is really going to save him and if there is this reality at the end and Hopeful says, and and he says, I'm sinking, I'm sinking and Hopeful says, well, this is because God wants you to look to him right now. God wants you to put your faith in him and he's using this to turn your attention to him. Just like Peter sinking in the water. We look to Christ even in the midst of death. Going through the valley. Going through the river. And on the other side, the celestial city. Never separated from the love of God. In him we're more than conquerors. This love is a sacrificial death. A sacrificial love. It is a justifying love. It is a conquering love. So, friends, put your faith in what God has done for you in Christ. Don't take your eyes off Him. Whenever you want to look to yourself and your failures, put it back on Christ and trust in the love that He has revealed to you at the cross. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you help us to do that. And I I pray for anyone who might be wavering with in terms of their assurance that they are your child. And I pray that if there's anyone here like that today, that they would 
know that if they have repented of their sins and they have received what you've done for them at, at Calvary, that they are yours. And if there's anyone who hasn't done that, I pray today by the Holy Spirit, you will grip their hearts so that they will want to know this love for themselves and trust in it now and always. And they will come to faith in Christ. And for all of us, God, we want to join with the Apostle Paul in being overwhelmed by the depth of your love for us and filled with gratitude so that we might live for your glory and praise your name. Give us a greater sense of this love. Help us to feel this, not just know it intellectually. By the work of your spirit, I pray. In Christ's name, for his sake, amen.